airdrop intrusion. Right when I sat down within just a few minutes, I received the message on my phone. The chilling threat she got from someone close by and what police say about it. Landlords losing money. The pressure on renters to pay up. And what happens if they don't? And all eyes on Comet Neowise. This is a really rare, really special object that we just discovered in March. The picture-perfect celestial event you definitely don't want to miss. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Transit police are investigating an alarming incident on a Surrey bus. A woman who was sent a threatening sexually explicit message via a smartphone function. Jordan Armstrong has more from the victim on what happened and a warning some of the language in this story is disturbing. As if riding a bus late at night wasn't scary enough, the victim says she got a virtual threat from someone on her bus. But days later, neither she nor police know who it came from. We've agreed to conceal her identity. Um, and when it popped up on my screen, I was like really shocked and kind of blown away. Uh, I had to read it twice to really think, like, is this actually what I'm receiving? It happened late Tuesday night, moments after she boarded the bus at Newton Exchange. The photo someone was trying to send her said, I'm going to rape you. At first, I was like, this is probably serious. I started thinking that, well, this could be like a really sick prank by some you know, young guys or something like that. I wanted to take it seriously because I didn't know. She declined the request to receive the photo, but she took a screenshot and contacted friends and transit police. The request, though, was sent two more times before she got off the bus safely. If people think that there are, you know, if somebody around them, someone in their life, friends or family, uh, that's pulling something like this that, that is indeed a prank, um, you know, to not to think about the consequences of what they're doing. It is not funny. It's it's not a joke. It's completely uh, disturbing. Um, members of the public have the right to use public transit without fearing for harassment. So how did this happen? The photos were sent via Apple's AirDrop feature. That feature, when turned on, allows any iPhone user to essentially send photos to any other iPhone nearby, a feature that can be virtually untraceable. Um, if members of the public have come across a situation similar to this, we're, we're asking that they do call the Metro Vancouver Transit Police at 604-516-7419 or simply text us at 877-7777. If an arrest is ever made, police say it's too early to contemplate what kind of charges could be laid. The airdrop feature can be turned off through your iPhone's settings app or the control center, something Robin has since done and recommends others do as well. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. A suspended Richmond RCMP officer charged earlier this year with sex offenses is now facing new charges in Ottawa. Constable Andrew Shangio is facing 34 counts of voyeurism and three counts of sex assault connected to incidents in Ottawa between 2011 and 2018. Now that's in addition to several charges laid just this March after an investigation into a string of sexual offenses near an all-girls school in Vancouver. The 35-year-old was suspended from the force with pay. Ottawa police say they believe there may be further victims and anyone with information is asked to come forward. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team has released new photos in hopes of tracking down a vehicle officers believe is connected to a fatal shooting in Abbotsford. It happened last Friday on Lucerne Crescent just before 8 o'clock. 
43-year-old Karmjeet Singh Saran was killed. A short time after the shooting, a burning vehicle was discovered on Lancelot Street. Investigators believe it was the suspect vehicle and are sharing these images captured on video surveillance. It's a black 2019 Mitsubishi RVR with some noticeable damage. Anyone with information about this vehicle is asked to call IHIT or Crime Stoppers. Meantime, a candlelight vigil will be held tonight for a Vancouver business owner who was shot and killed on Monday. The vigil for 30-year-old Amin Shaheen Shakur is set to begin at 8 p.m. at King George Park in Richmond. Shakur was gunned down near Main Street and 48th near THC Canada and Dank Mart, businesses he co-owned. Shakur is being remembered by friends online as a positive spirit who gave back to his community. Now to the COVID-19 pandemic. Ottawa will be providing $19 billion to provinces and territories to help fund a safe restart of the Canadian economy. Keith Baldry has more on BC's share and how it'll be used to address the crisis caused by the pandemic. Today, I have some good news to share. And so yet another huge federal government financial assistance program has taken shape. This one to help out the provinces to the tune of billions of dollars. Our government will invest over 19 billion dollars. The new safe restart program means more than two billion dollars is coming BC's way. One of the biggest beneficiaries will be our transit system, which has been hit hard by the pandemic. We worked with uh, Minister Freeland to open up that bundle of dollars, so it is now open-ended. Uh, but it has to be 50-50 matching dollars. So every dollar the federal government sends to British Columbia, we will match it and put it to not just TransLink in the Lower Mainland, but to BC Transit right across BC. We anticipate we're going to be needing in the neighbourhood of uh, $600 million to get back on track. Childcare has also emerged as a huge priority in the pandemic. More money there as well. The vast majority of child cares are up and running in British Columbia. That's good news. We're the only province in the country, in fact, in the continent, that has real-time data about how a safe restart of our K-12 system will work because we've got a month worth of information uh, during the voluntary return to school that we had in June. And while not officially part of the financial side of the restart plan, getting the airline industry back in shape is a priority for all provinces, as long as safety protocols are followed. We need to make sure that everyone understands that if you're going to be getting into a plane, if you're going to be getting on to transit, it's a good idea to wear a mask. It's a good idea to be respectful of the people around you and keep as much distance as possible. How the airlines uh, configure themselves uh, to do business and to have travelers that are comfortable is pretty much up to them. Uh, but we want to make sure that they understand from a public health perspective, these are the parameters that they should operate under. And, and Dr. Henry's been clear on that. All right, here's a quick look at today's COVID-19 numbers. We have 21 new cases, bringing BC's total infections to 3,170. Thankfully, no new deaths, so that number holds at 189. 15 people are in hospital, only three of them in ICU. 2,789 people are considered recovered, leaving us with 192 active cases. All right, let's bring in Keith Baldry now for more on today's COVID-19 developments. And Keith, Dr. Henry doubled down on air travel today and the steps needed to keep people yeah. safe. 
Yeah, she first raised this issue a couple of days ago at the briefing, Chris, a little expressing frustration, uh, both her and uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix expressing frustration at the airlines as they open up and begin flying more, not doing enough to screen passengers for symptoms and temperatures and such, and also not having really good record keeping when it comes to passenger manifest. Today, she explained exactly what she's looking for when she talks about passenger manifest. It's basically information to allow contact tracers to trace passengers if there's an outbreak of COVID-19 on a particular flight. Here's Dr. Henry. I think it's a very rational ask of, of our uh, airlines that uh, when somebody checks in, they need to provide a name, a phone number, and an address. An address is really important because that helps us understand where we have to look for those people. And if we can get that, that facilitates us being able to find people quickly and stop those chains of transmission. And that, in turn, makes air travel safer. And that's why contact tracing is so important right now. You remember that outbreak in Kelowna last week, eight people on, on Friday. Well, because of contact tracing, the number of people now traced to be affected in Kelowna is up to 27. So no Dr. Bunny briefing tomorrow, of course, or the weekend. But on Monday, she's going to have the first results of that big survey that more than 300,000 British Columbians filled out uh, in terms of the, how their life has changed or not because of COVID-19. It's been transformative for a lot of folks. We know that for sure. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Keith. Well, the ban on evictions in B.C. because of the COVID-19 outbreak will soon be lifted. The provincial government says starting September 1st, renters and their landlords have to have a framework in place to begin repaying the rent that's still owed. But a tenancy advocacy group says that will just add to renters' woes. For months, British Columbians have had little legal pressure to pay rent. That's about to change. We see um, a trend coming where people are, are are getting back to work, are able to participate in the economy. And so we need to do the same thing around uh, um, banning evictions for non-payment of rent. As of September 1st, not just will the ban on evictions be lifted, but renters will now be required to pay rent in full. During the pandemic, 97% of more than 1.5 million renters in the province have been paying rent. 85% in full, while another 12% paid partially. The government announcing Thursday plans for repayment, allowing those renters who owe to pay off the debt until July 31st, 2021. What we expect now going forward is a, a repayment plan that is structured that will have on it the total amount owing, uh, what the payment is. The Vancouver Tenants Union extremely disappointed in the announcement, saying many renters hardest hit by the pandemic will never be able to repay what is owed. Paying off accumulated rent debt during a global economic depression is not feasible for those who were already living paycheck to paycheck. The government originally thought more people would apply for rent relief. The Vancouver Tenants Union says that means there should be additional money available to help people pay for rent for those that still owe. We think it's time for the BC government to keep its promise to renters, uh, not continue helping landlords to evict. There are certainly renters uh, who committed to paying the rent, and what they did was they made uh, other sacrifices. Since the pandemic started, 82,000 people have received up to $500 a month in provincial rent support. But those looking to the federal government for more will be disappointed. As it is, that was not part of the uh, restart uh, discussion. The province also announcing an extension of the rent increase freeze, meaning rents can't go up until next year. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. BC's other health crisis is far more deadly than COVID so far. The fatal pull of fentanyl, killing more people in one month than it ever has. 
the emotional appeal from Dr. Bonnie Henry to stop it in just over a minute. America at war over wearing masks as new infections skyrocket. Coming up on the news hour. And World War II love letters finally returned to the woman who thought they were lost forever. Later. Right now, though, another grim record was set in June in B.C.'s other public health emergency. 175 British Columbians lost their lives to an overdose last month, bringing the death toll for 2020 so far to 728 people. As Ted Chernecki reports, the accelerating crisis has B.C. public health officials and political leaders calling for faster implementation of a safe drug supply program. Three to one. That's the death difference between the opiate crisis and COVID-19 in B.C. since the pandemic started. But drug overdoses are getting so much worse. In all of June, eight people died from COVID, from illicit drugs, 175. A new all-time monthly record surpassing the previous record, which was the month before. We've now reported consecutive months with more than 100 deaths in our province. This is a very dangerous time for people who use drugs. The coroner's report shows us once again that the toxicity of the drugs on our streets right now is through the roof. 175 deaths in June alone, 728 so far this year, on pace for an all-time record. First Nations represent about 3.4% of the population, but 16% of the deaths. With the borders closed, illicit drugs are getting more toxic as dealers mix available ingredients like fentanyl. On average, it's in 83% of the victims, cocaine 50%, methamphetamines 34 and heroin 15%. 70% of those dying are aged 19 to 49 and 80% are male. With the many billions of dollars now being spent on COVID-19, the Premier today was asked if some lives matter more than others. I think we're talking about two separate things here. They're both public health emergencies without any doubt and I say to the people who've lost uh, loved ones my heart goes out to you but I also say to those who are still fearful that we need to do everything we can to suppress the transmission of COVID-19 that we're not out of the woods yet. The pandemic has reduced access to addiction services like alcohol use that's been going up during the pandemic perhaps drug use has too and self-isolating is just about the worst thing a drug addict can do. People who are dying, many of them are dying alone. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Still ahead, campsite controversy. Extremely frustrating. Why there are so many empty campsites, even though reservations are sold out. Also tonight, the complicated operation to remove a collapsed crane in Toronto. Still dealing with this semi-truck in the ditch here in Langley, westbound on Highway 1, just west of 248th Street. Now, the good news is emergency crews have moved off to the side, so all lanes are now open. But the bad news is the lineup is backed into Abbotsford now, so a very slow go on Highway 1 west on through Langley. For 47 years, Kermat Collision and Autoglass has provided unmatched superior customer service and satisfaction. With 18 lower mainland locations, there's a Kermac in your neighborhood. Visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway One in Langley. Police
police departments across North America have come under scrutiny for use of force. And today, the Vancouver Police Department spoke out about its practices, particularly when it comes to mental health calls. The VPD says a vast majority of its interactions with the public have been nonviolent, but that fact is doing little to dissuade those calling for defunding the police. Nadia Stewart reports. I think they're in a crisis of legitimacy right now. It is a crisis facing police forces across Canada as calls to defund the police continue to grow louder. Renewed calls to end the controversial practice of carding are juxtaposed against denials of systemic racism within the Vancouver Police Department. For decades, we have underfunded health, we have underfunded housing, we have underfunded education, yet we have continued to increase our budgets for police. Why? But VPD are pointing to their track record. Integrated teams combining plainclothes officers and mental health professionals has led to better outcomes, they say. And as they respond to a growing number of these calls, they acknowledge the need to grow their specialized teams. Now, although some may say that we shouldn't deal with mental health calls, 20% of Canadians are living with mental illness. Our calls for service went from being overrepresented in terms of mental illness to now being underrepresented. Recruitment, hiring and cultural training now more dynamic, but they admit there is a disconnect between what they're doing and how effective black and indigenous residents, among others, feel these programs are. Uh, we do try to be proactive to educate the community on what we're doing and what our objectives are, um, whether or not that's being re received um, on, uh, on the side of the community is, um, is a valid question. And uh, it's obviously, if, it, if we're not getting that across properly, it's, it's something that we need to fix. Advocates say what police seem to be missing is not that better teams and better programs are needed, but that their presence in these teams and programs is actually having a negative impact on outcomes and police community relations. And frankly, we shouldn't be looking to police to support people in distress. We should be supporting peers and people with lived experience. Part of the solution is, frankly, dismantling the power of the police and the fact that they have such pervasive power to deal with all social issues um, is a problem. Advocates say they'll continue their grassroots push for police defunding in spite of any resistance they might encounter. Nadia Sir, Global News. It's been under construction for more than two years, and now the upgrades at Granville Station are finally complete. Starting tomorrow, commuters will have access to a number of new features, including upgraded entrances, more signage, and new monitors. The station also boasts Metro Vancouver's longest escalators. Those have been replaced in a $14.5 million investment project to upgrade the station's six es escalators. Granville Station is the first of 13 stations to be overhauled. Construction is currently underway to replace escalators at Commercial Broadway, Columbia, Waterfront and Nanaimo stations. This station is one of our busiest hubs, as you know, at Granville Station. And we see these units are traveling approximately 12,000 kilometers per year. That, that's the distance between Vancouver and Sydney. And so they put in a lot of effort and a lot of work, which is why when they age out, when they reach end of life, they begin to break down. It was time for us to replace them. Well, maybe you want to get out of the city. Every year, tens of thousands scramble to secure camping spots in B.C.'s great outdoors. The beauty almost always makes up for the 
frustrating reservation experience. But this year, some of the most popular sites are mysteriously unoccupied. Aaron MacArthur shows us why that's causing a lot of unhappy campers. That's one side. Emily, you can hold on to that. Tents are going up and the campfires are lit in Golden Ears Park. But midweek, not as many campers as you might expect. Plenty of empty pads. I was driving through the campsite just this afternoon earlier and I was like, well, what happened to it being full? The empty spots, though, all seem to be spoken for. The reserve signs are out front. And a quick look at the Discover Camping website shows the park is full. People say campers are reserving spots and not using them, paying for extra nights to grab sites so they can have them on prime weekend days. It's really, really, really hard to get a spot, and I find that extremely frustrating. As of this year, Golden Ears Park has joined busy camping areas across B.C. It is now 100% reservable. Outdoor groups say this isn't fair. Giving people more options like first-come, first-served sites would help spread the demand. The fairest way to do this is to have the demographics understood and in place and have a percentage for first come first serve, a percentage for, for reservations only because those, those things are needed. The Ministry of Environment says people are given some leeway in case plans change, but if a camper hasn't checked in by 11 the next day, the site can be released back to reservable inventory or listed as first come first serve. Freeing up sites to actually allow more people to get outside, especially during COVID, would be really good. Campgrounds might be full on paper, but with spots seemingly going unused and unclaimed, many people trying to stay closer to home are crying foul. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Up ahead, the backlash over mask mandates in the U.S. How it's becoming a flashpoint for anger and violence. And the COVID test that promises an answer in minutes instead of days. Good evening and some good news over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Just 30 seconds ago, clear to stall. It was southbound at mid-span in the far left lane. And as you can see, traffic has recovered quite nicely. The all-electric 2020 Chevrolet Bolt EVLT offers an estimated 417-kilometer range and up to $10,729 in total credits during employee pricing. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. A scary scene plays out in downtown Toronto today where a crane partially collapsed. A number of buildings had to be evacuated when the arm of the construction crane crashed onto the top of an office tower. The crane operator did manage to escape safely and no injuries are reported. An investigation is expected to take place to determine what caused the collapse. Mandatory mask wearing has reached its tipping point south of the border. With more than half of American states with mask orders in place, tensions are rising among those still refusing to wear them. And that comes as the number of COVID-19 cases stateside climbs to three and a half million and the death toll surpasses 138,000. Facing down a pandemic, tonight in some regions, an about-face when it comes to wearing masks. Today, states like Arkansas and Colorado now requiring them in public. In Texas, Governor Greg Abbott says he won't shut the state back down, but residents need to wear one. If everyone can adopt the practice 
of wearing a face mask for the next four weeks, we will be able to get COVID-19 under control. Though the CDC and nearly every health professional agrees, masks remain a flashpoint across the country. Sorry, you have to wear a mask. From coffee shops to grocery stores, many refuse to wear one. As more retailers like Target require them, in Florida, one shopper pulled a gun on another after a dispute over face masks. In Utah overnight, a meeting about face coverings canceled when parents inside a packed room refused to wear one. States in roughly half the country require them. Why isn't it countrywide? Why aren't they enforcing it? In Georgia, while extending COVID restrictions, the governor made it a point to prohibit some cities and counties from requiring masks, even as coronavirus cases surge to historic numbers. Our hands should be totally and unequivocally um, working to fight this, this virus. I would recommend as strong as you possibly can to get people to wear masks. California, one of the first states to require face masks, is now one of the hardest hit. And there is no talk of loosening restrictions. Tonight, our nation struggling over how to contain a pandemic as masks become the face of controversy. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News, Los Angeles. Canada is among three countries accusing Russia of trying to steal information related to COVID-19 vaccine development. Britain and the United States are joining Canada, claiming drug companies and research groups were targeted by a Russian group known as APT29. It's considered part of the Kremlin's intelligence services. It's still unclear if any of the attacks have been successful or if any information was actually stolen. A new study shows that an anti-malaria medication had no benefit in patients with early, mild COVID-19. Over 400 were assigned to either hydroxychloroquine or a placebo within the first few days of symptoms of the novel coronavirus. Researchers at the University of Minnesota found the drug was no more effective in early treatment than the placebo after two weeks. According to the scientists, nearly a quarter of those receiving hydroxychloroquine had ongoing symptoms compared to around 30% who'd received a placebo. In the search for solutions to the pandemic, a new kind of test for COVID-19 now in trials, which could give real-time results. Tonight, with people in some states facing long wait times to get results from COVID-19 tests, could a new solution be a test that works like a breathalyzer? It's a lot more efficient. It's uh, almost real time, the results. Uh, it's a lot cheaper and it's a lot more convenient. In Finland, scientists are developing what could be a groundbreaking new approach that delivers results almost immediately. What's the advantage, do you think, of your testing technique? Our biggest uh, benefit is the speed. We can provide almost real-time solution because our turnaround time is just two minutes. Nanosensors inside this breathalyzer detect different gases that our lungs produce, identifying things in our bodies just like a blood test. Over the next month, the company hopes to confirm the gases and their levels that correspond to positive COVID patients, even if they're asymptomatic. Prototypes are shipping across the world to Africa, South America and last week, San Francisco to gather more data. A similar technique used in the past developed a successful test for tuberculosis. The hope this could solve a global testing dilemma around COVID-19. There is not, not enough testing capacity to test the mass population in a short time frame. We are opening up that bottleneck.
Recent research suggests breathalysers are faster, cheaper and more accurate than swab tests. The company says it'll find out for sure when trials finish in around four weeks' time. Still to come, the discovery of love letters from World War II. You could just smell these letters were like old, antique. The shock when they were found and then delivered to the woman who thought she lost them forever. Plus, stargazers delight why they're getting the thrill of a lifetime with Comet NeoWise. Give a shout out, tag posts with hashtag BC Healthcare Heroes or email BC Healthcare Heroes at globalnews.ca to share with Global News. BC Healthcare Heroes in partnership with Fortis BC, caring for the BC communities where we live and work. A kangaroo in a police car, and this isn't even Australia, where the police found it right after Christie's forecast coming up. Now, first, just before we get to Christie, BC sky watchers are being treated to a once-in-a-lifetime spectacle in the night sky. Comet Neowise is making a rare visit to our celestial neighborhood, and as Linda Aylesworth reports, if you don't take a look now, it'll be 6,800 years before its next appearance. For billions of years, the Neowise comet has evaded detection as it raced around our solar system. This is a really rare, really special object that we, we just discovered in March, you know, because we didn't know about it, right? It's just, it's too far away. Discovered in March by an orbiting telescope, part of NASA's NEOWISE mission, it is now a mere 100 million kilometers away from Earth and visible to the naked eye in the northern hemisphere. What we're really seeing isn't the solid comet. We're seeing the gas and the dust that's being thrown out from this as it evaporates in the heat of the sun. The odds of Neowise making it this far are astronomical. Born in the Oort cloud, a giant spherical shell of rock and ice that surrounds our solar system, it was drawn by gravity towards the sun. The sun is very hot, very large, and the comets are traveling very fast, so they tend to break apart very easily. But Neowise was able to hold on. But it's more than just a survivor. It's coming out to be one of the brightest ones we've had in a long time. It's looking like it may be comparable to the comet Hale-Bopp. Which is really saying something since Hale-Bopp, which graced the skies over the northern hemisphere 23 years ago, was the size of Toronto, whereas Neowise is just four kilometers across. So how much longer will it be here? The 22nd will be its closest approach to Earth, so that will be its brightest peak, and then it will have another maybe week or so where it's still a little bit bright for us, and then it will kind of fade. So if you haven't already, you might want to head somewhere with a clear view of the northwestern sky about an hour after sunset soon. It's very cool to be able to see something like that, and I think it brings us all together, especially in a time like this, because Neowise specifically isn't coming back for another 6,800 years. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. It's not looking good for tonight, though. Let's check in with Christy right now and look at the forecast. You're exactly right. I would wait till the weekend. That's when we can expect clear skies to be able to see it. And by the way, they say about an hour after sunset, as Linda said, but looking more towards the northwest, if that helps a little bit. Sky's big when you're trying to look for it pretty <laughs> quickly. So, yes, cloud cover today. But despite that, we had the hottest day of the year today, hitting 24 degrees, everyone. And it's going to get even hotter as we head towards the weekend. But looking back, here we are halfway through July, and it's been a tough one so far. We're getting close to our total average for 
the month for the amount of rain throughout the entire month. So we've hit 27.2 millimeters of rain and we've already had six days of rain. Typically, that's what we would get through the entire month. So, uh, yes, it's been a tough one, but we've got some sunshine in store for you. Yes, after tomorrow, tomorrow's a transition day. We've got a big ridge. It's going to build through the weekend and through the early part of next week. So summer is set to return and yes, it's going to get very hot. So pull out your sunscreen, everyone. You're definitely going to need it in the meantime. Yes, tomorrow transition day, still some cloud cover, maybe a sprinkler or two in the morning hours, but it should clear out late in the day. So we'll see the clearing through the afternoon hours. Still a slight risk of an isolated shower or thunderstorm along that uh sort of BC Alberta border. Otherwise, we are going to see conditions clear. So there's your forecast for your Friday, everyone. There's that risk of thunderstorms from the BC Peace River area down through the Columbia and the Kootenai region. Otherwise, sunshine. Few sprinkles for our region in the morning, but we should see sunshine towards the end of the day, and it will last through the middle part of next week before it starts to ease off. We have no forest fires burning across the province right now, so we don't want it to last forever, that sunshine, you guys. Here's a quick look at your central windows weather window, which is done by Marcus Kwan. He's nine years old and he saw a butterfly. He pulled out his camera and he sent it in. He watches this show quite a bit. So great job, Marcus. Thanks for sharing that with us. Nice. Photo. Might well have heard me knocking on wood about the forest fires there. Let's yeah. keep it that way, right? All right, now back to that unusual suspect. Fort Lauderdale police came across during a recent call. Hey, Lori, if I keep him busy, come up behind him. It's okay, buddy. It's okay, buddy. We have it. In your how many years no, have you ever seen first. a kangaroo? I am so happy. Body camera footage shows the moment officers arrived and wrangled it into the back seat of a police car. It turns out the animal escaped from its owner. Kangaroos are illegal in Fort Lauderdale. So now it's up to Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission to decide on its new home. They're lucky they didn't get a, a punch. <laughs> that's right yeah, that's or a great. kick right they can they can yeah they're it. tough mm -hmm. all right so, Squire, uh, squares here why is christy not wearing purple oh i didn't oh, get the memo i just noticed you're wearing purple and so are you uh, yeah oh. i'm out of sync still it's gonna take me a while to get back into it it's understandable guys. it's understandable <laughs> uh speaking of out of sync the whitecaps defense was out of sync last night but coach mark DeSantos was not really all that upset his team lost 4-3 play toe-to-toe -to -toe with them, face-to-face. -face. Considering uh, some of the Cavs' best players aren't even in this tournament, uh, Mark DeSantos is willing to cut his team some flack. Also tonight, she thought the letters from her one true love were gone forever. How this 96-year-old got them back decades later. Good for the Whitecaps last night for a little while. Anyway, here's Squire with the details. Well, this whole tournament, there's no defense. <laughs> I mean, it's exciting. It's end-to-end, -end, but there's no defense. And, uh, well, the way the Vancouver Whitecaps lost last night was exciting. It was interesting. 4-3 to San Jose. There were lots of goals because, as we said, everyone in this tournament seems to have forgotten how to play defense. In the second half, it looked like the Whitecaps' goal was on the bottom of a hill. San Jose dominated them completely, set a record for corner kicks. 
But there were some legitimate reasons why the Whitecaps lost, even after blowing a two-goal lead. Milinkovic has stolen this. That's a terrible play by Vega. And can it be three? It is! When the Whitecaps went up by two goals with just 30 minutes to go, it looked like they had secured three points in their return to MLS after four months between games. But the earthquake shook their world, roaring back with three of their own, including the winner deep in stoppage time by former Whitecaps Shea Salinas. It was a cruel finish after such a bright start, but the Caps' lack of depth caught up to them. They are down five key players who opted not to go to Orlando for health and personal reasons, including the likes of Lucas Cavallini and Freddie Montero. They had everybody, and they made those subs at the end, those four subs that was a lot of fresh legs, that brought a lot of, uh, of more intensity and more volume. We have a little bit more of a difficult time right now with our depth. With a full roster, DeSantos would have used all five of his subs, but felt he couldn't just put young guys in for the sake of making changes, even though the hot, humid conditions took a toll on his team. If we want to give an opportunity to, to a young player, uh, they, need, they need to be put in an environment that they're able to succeed. And uh, the game was very chaotic. It required a lot of experience, and we felt that uh, the subs were the right ones. The Caps don't have much time to dwell on such a disheartening loss. They play again Sunday night versus Seattle, but they move forward at least feeling they did some positive things in their return to play. This isn't the end of the world here. This is a tournament, and we got two more games in the group stage, and uh, we need to get back at it as soon as possible. You play toe-to-toe -to -toe with them, face-to-face, -face. you didn't back off. I could only be proud of the group that is here and the guys that worked here. Mark DeSantos does kind of look like Sub-Zero from Mortal Kombat with that mask, don't you think? Blue? It's a cool mask. Uh, Nikita Triamkin has put off coming back to the Canucks or the NHL for another year. He signed for an extra season with the uh, Russian team in Ekaterinburg. The reason he's staying home is because the Canucks are kind of tight against the salary cap right now. They have other guys to sign before they can make a serious move on Triampkin. Canuck fans have talked about a return of Triampkin for a while. He hasn't played since uh, 2017 in Vancouver. There's always been a sense there is so much potential in this guy. One of the reasons is because he's 6'7". They also felt he wasn't handled very well by Willie Desjardins when he was here. Whatever the case, he won't be here next season. Canucks held practices today. Tonight they'll do a scrimmage game where they will split the roster in two. It's all part of this quick ramp up towards the Stanley Cup tournament, which starts in early August. And because the players had all that time off where most of them couldn't skate, the first few days of camp have been about getting the players back in shape rather than, say, discussing Minnesota, which, of course, is Vancouver's opponent in the play-in round. I think the most important thing through all of this, and I'm, I'm sure most of the coaches will feel the same way is if your team's not prepared physically to play and mentally to play their own game it really doesn't matter what you do uh, or talk about or study or, or coach against the team you're playing you've got to have your team up and running and um, we're concentrating on that we're slowly very slowly so far talking about minnesota i think there's lots of time for that Losing teams at Canucks scrimmages have to do push-ups. Then they have to do sit-ups, which is pretty hard, especially for the goalie. And then, while the other team watches, they have to do this. 
I know. I've seen guys like that after they've had too much tequila. <laughs> but uh, that, <laughs> never quite seen that one before. But apparently it gets you in shape. The uh, Edmonton Eskimos are going to announce very soon they are dropping their nickname. Eskimos has been in use as far back, actually, as the late 1800s for Edmonton-based teams, both football, rugby, and hockey. We don't know what the new nickname will be, but there is talk that in order to save money and keep the helmets and the logo exactly as it is right now, which is a double E, their new nickname would be a word that starts with E. And for a brief time in 1922, they were called the Edmonton Elks. That would work. Another one being kicked around is Empire. All right. Memorial and Tiger Woods is back. Hasn't played since February. This is later in his round. He actually started okay. He was two under after three holes. Then he went back to even. This will put him to minus one. Then he bogeyed again. But on his very final putt, he sunk a birdie putt. And that means he is one under after 18 holes. Tony Finau was going to have a great approach here. Birdied four of his last five to take the lead at minus six. Nick Taylor is plus two. Adam Hadwin is plus four. How tough is this course? Dustin Johnson plus eight. Ricky Fowler plus nine after 18 holes. There you go. All right. Indeed. Thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Jay Durant for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thanks, Sophie. An outpouring of community support to save Vancouver's oldest building will have an update on the fundraising efforts for the old Hastings Mill Store Museum. And Vancouver City Council is inching closer to voting in a ban on bear bangers. The explosive noisemakers are traditionally used to scare off animals in the backcountry, but have recently become a nuisance in cities. We'll have those stories and a lot more when you join us tonight at 11. Thank you, Jay. All right, when we come back, we'll have our salute to our healthcare hero and love letters lost for decades finally delivered to the woman who owns them. Next. Well, as we reported earlier, illicit drug overdose deaths in this province hit a new and devastating monthly high, and the COVID-19 pandemic is partly responsible for driving that deadly uptick. That's why tonight it's appropriate to note a healthcare hero who's someone on the front lines helping addicts battling this crisis. Leah Bennett is nominated by her mother, Susan Woodward. Leah is an LPN working full-time in the downtown east side in the Molson Injectable Opioid Agonist Therapy Clinic for the Portland Hotel Society. Her job is difficult at the best of times, and the COVID-19 crisis has added another layer of stress to what's already a demanding job. Leah watches over her clients, administers medications, helps with paperwork and appointments, and does it all, her mom says, with kindness and compassion, treating everyone with dignity and respect. Leah, your mom says you are so brave and you do all of this while raising two beautiful daughters, Astrid and Ophelia. We want to thank you for being a healthcare hero for BC during these difficult and unpredictable times. If you have a healthcare hero you'd like to see recognized, just send an email to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. Send along a few pictures and of course some details about why they're your hero and we might feature them next. Now, a 96-year-old woman in Saskatoon has been reunited with some cherished memories. Global's Ryan Kessler explains what was found during the renovation of an old home and how those who discovered it got it back to its rightful owner. This was a gift from my friend. This leather case is full of history that Wim Richards thought ended up in the trash. 
Thankfully, she was mistaken. Love is the greatest power, isn't it? Really. In June, a Saskatchewan couple was renovating their basement when some insulation tumbled to the ground. In the pile was the case filled with hundreds of letters. So, of course, I got curious, started reading and opening up a few, and you could just smell these letters were, like, old, antique. They were sent from Lashburn, Saskatchewan, to Leeds, England, following the Second World War. The messages beginning with, to my very own darling. And as it closed off, too, it was hugs and kisses from J.A. Richards, etc. Using the names and addresses as clues, Noella Mitsuing turned to social media, hoping to find the descendants, before tracking down the former homeowner who stashed the letters away. The author's muse is now 96 years old. It's like having Jim back with, back with me. Yeah. Back together with my memories with these letters. Wynne was a city girl in the British Royal Air Force. J.A. Richards, or Jim, was a flying officer, the son of a Saskatchewan farmer. Their love story started with a dance. We just hit it off. <laughs> he proposed within months, but victory in Europe meant Jim's return to Canada. That's when the letter started, back and forth, every few days for a year and a half, until they could finally reunite. What did you feel in that moment? Oh, <laughs> hug, hug, of course, kiss, kiss, kiss. <laughs> Wynne bought her wedding dress as soon as she arrived in Canada and said, I do, in a Lashburn church. During their 54 years together, they raised three children. I think that's what this world needs, is love for everybody's sake. Jim died in 2001. Wynne never remarried. She knew there would never be another man like her husband or another love story she'd rather be a part of. Ryan Kessler, Global News. Aw. Love for everybody. So glad they did those renos. Yeah. They'd never have found the letters. All right, a final word on the forecast as some people head out on vacation. That's right. Well, we've got great weather in store for them tomorrow. As I mentioned, transition day, we could see a few sprinkles in the morning by late afternoon, some sunshine that takes us through the weekend and we should enjoy summer like weather right through until the middle part of next week. Uh, it's not too late that it starts to break down at this point. Good timing. It's going to be nice. <laughs> it's going to be nice. Thanks for watching everyone. Have a good night. Good night all.